<laughs> ah, sorry about that. Stay tuned for Worst Foot Forward, an encyclopedia of heroic failure. Join host Ben Vanderveld and Barry McStay and their esteemed guests as they brandish their wooden spoon of destiny and celebrate the losers, heroic failures, and spectacular missteps of pockmarked human endeavor. You can find them at worstfootforward.libsyn.com on Twitter at worstfoot or email them worstfootforwardpodcast at gmail.com This episode is Carl Donnelly talking about the world's worst coffee because of course I would play the episode about coffee. <clears throat> and now, your feature presentation. <laughs> Friends, and welcome to Worst Foot Forward, the podcast that each week hunts down the best of the worst. I'm Ben Vandervelde, and this week there are two possible versions of this week's episode, instant and artisanal. In the instant one, you just pour 300 millilitres of boiling water over my co-host until he loudly bellows his suggestion at you, and you go away perked up but unsatisfied. Alternatively, you can have the artisanally made, ethically sourced, perfectly brewed and karmically aligned episode, complete with syrup, steam and a tiny biscuit, where we source the smuggest hipster trivia available and deliver it to you with an air of pitying disdain that you'd even darken our doorstep to ask for it. Or you could just have a brew and it's gone. Your choice. <laughs> and with me is the Vente to my Grande, the triple shots to my chocolate-covered froth, and the global tax-avoiding behemoth to my plucky local shop, Barry McStay. Peek behind the curtain for our listeners. Ben and I both thought we were writing the intro for the show this week. I had also written, and with me is the Venti to my Grande. <laughs> Completely independent of each other. Oh yeah, of course. Word. We are so, so in sync. Um, yeah. you're, a co- you're a coffee drinker. You've got a posh coffee machine and everything. I do have a posh coffee machine. Well, we got, we, when me and my wife got married, we, you know, you know, on the wedding list, you go like stuff that is boring and we're going to need and then people can buy last minute and like the stuff that we'd quite like. And then there's the stuff that's like the jackpot prize at the end of a game show that you're like, who really loves us enough <laughs> to buy that? And it turns out no one loved us enough to buy us the coffee machine. So the person that loved us enough was us. <laughs> it was my mum's friend from Switzerland who loved us enough to get us the really nice copper angle poise floor lamp. <laughs> that is that is definitely a tax dodge. No ways about that. Let me introduce our guest. Our guest this week is a comedian and podcaster, because we're nothing if not original, and uh, who's been nominated for the Edinburgh Comedy Award twice. It's just nice to be nominated, I'm sure he would say. Uh, he's appeared on uh, many TV shows, including Mock the Week and Russell Howard's Good News, and travelled the world performing at the Just for Last Festival in Montreal, the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, and the 
the New Zealand Comedy Festival, Montreal, Melbourne, New Zealand, places with a good sense of humour and adequate public health policy during pandemics. Two Vegan Idiots is the podcast that he releases weekly alongside with his comedian co-host Julian Dean, where they track through the week's events with a comedian guest. Two Vegan Idiots sounds a lot like a crossword clue, so answers to the Worstwood Forward postbox, please, listeners. And in 2017, uh, our guest and his podcast partner Chris Martin, not that one, started a spin-off podcast called Babysitting Trevor, which has since gone on to be runner-up at the 2018 British Podcasts Award Best Comedy Podcast category, but it's just nice to be nominated. The show sees... <laughs> The show sees him and his co-host try and drag their eccentric Australian third member, Trevor Cook, into the 21st century with hilarious consequences. Except Trevor took one look at the 21st century, saw how it was going and said, no thanks, and returned to the 20th century, or as they call it in Australia, the 19th century. Please welcome our guest, Carl Donnelly. Hello, guys. How are we? And with a voice like that, how could he not host two podcasts? <laughs> exactly. Um, it's yeah. I've, I'd, 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 my voice isn't as good as this mic makes me sound. Generally, it's pure tech. Um, ben and I are both like Joe Pasquale in person. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. I do. Th- I've got quite a deep voice. I often have a. You know, Any time I've done radio, the producers always have a bit of an issue trying to make it. They sort of they're like, oh, it's too. It's got a lot. Of, it's got boom. It's too boomy. <laughs> so they keep trying to fiddle with uh, things, trying to make it sound slightly more um, acceptable. Bye. The thing is, no, now talking when you you've gone a little bit quieter than you were when we were warming up, and you're very you're in like snooker commentator slash golf commentator. Oh, John, oh, what's his name? Peter. Peter. Um, Peter Alice sadly yeah. sadly passed away didn't he what yeah. it's a sad start to a podcast yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but hey think of this episode as your audition to be the new voice of golf car I would love because I, I, I play golf yeah. um, I've played golf I played when I was a kid a lot and then I stopped for years because I became a teenager and golf is rubbish <laughs> and then uh, when I was sort of I got to like late 20s and it was a full-time comedian. I had some free time on my hands. Started up again. And I would I would love to be a golf commentator because Peter Alice, like, most of it wasn't about golf. Do you know what I mean? Because there's so much in-between time. Yeah. You'd find him just looking, sort of telling you about his holidays and that. And I think that's that's the dream of being a sports commentator where you can just, just fill time. What I'd like to see people, what I'd like to hear people do is take, because that's true of golf and of snooker and of cricket. And what they should do is just cut the bits where they waffle on in between shots and balls and put them into different sports <laughs> and see whether the listeners can tell the difference. But you don't, want, you don't want something like football where like there's lots happening for just 90 minutes. You want yeah. something like golf where the competition lasts four days and there's only three shots that really matter. And then you can just <laughs> eat cake, drink tea and talk about the birds you're looking at. Well, the bird, yeah, Peter, Peter Ellis was always getting on about the birds. Anytime there was a water sort of hazard, yeah. I'd, always be, I'd always be talking about, oh, what a lovely, lovely yeah. family of uh, it's like it's like jazz commentary. There. It's it's what's happening around the actual sport yeah, yeah. that you're meant to be commentating. <laughs> I on. love it. Um, we always ask our guests what they're worst at in the world, Carl. Clearly, you uh, you're good at um, being the, being the voice of golf. We yes, decided. I would love um, that. What are you not so good at? I was actually going to say a weird. I was I had a couple of different ideas, but when you said you know you did my biog. When you when we um did is something happening? I, I, I just felt something vibrating. I realised my uh, <laughs> my um, Fitbit was just telling me I'd hit ten thousand steps. Sitting down, I think I moved my arm. I was on. I was, right. I was very close, and I moved my arm. But um, <laughs> I was going to say because all like I've been runner up at a lot of things in my life. Just nice to be nominated. Uh, it is nice to be nominated. But I would say one of the things I'm worst at uh, is is being professional and actually. 
getting over that finish line to actually do it. I'm good at getting near, but I'm very... I, I reckon I've got it out of my system in the last couple of years, so I've really grown up and now I've got a kid. And, but I used to be very self-destructive. And uh, I, 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 my ability to like snatch a loss from the jaws of victory was like second to none. What you're saying is that in golf, your short game is appalling. <laughs> just smash it off the drive. I can literally drive it green. near the green, and then I'm going to put it through the green with a with a, lo- a, a lofted wedge. You know, nice. just going to be so. Yeah, I think I'm pretty. Uh, I've I've made some bad errors in my career. <laughs> I've had a little, I've had a little sniff of like somebody's gone right. We want you to do this, and then I've gone yes, and then I've just messed it up so badly that it's like we won't be working with you anymore so not in not in a moral or ethical way just just a lack of professionalism that is the most confessional answer we've had to that question in a while so clearly like lock lockdown has tenderized you i'm also really bad at cleaning if you want that one (laughs) that was the other option genuinely i'm really I've, I'm not, like, even the coronavirus was not a good time for me. It's like having to clean stuff and anti back. I just, I'm quite, like, I'm tidy, but underneath is a layer of dirt. I'm, I'm so bad at clean. Like, I'll do the bare minimum to clean something and then just ignore it and hope there's no germs. It's the problem I, that I you're to... going to these pitch meetings, like, throwing paper everywhere, <laughs> scrawling, scrawling on the world, walls, <laughs> taking a, a pee in the uh, water cooler, and then, not, and worst of all, not cleaning up after yourself. Yeah, I'm just, yeah, I'm just, uh, yeah, that was, I used to have to have a cleaner, genuinely, because I just, I, I, even though I live in, like, me and my wife live in a flat that is small enough that it's so easy to clean, but she just got so annoyed with me. Just, you know, she'd watch me cleaning, and it was like, you're not doing it. Literally, it's almost like you're pretending to clean, which is still as much hassle as cleaning. But for some reason, I've got this mental block that I just can't like the thought of actually like cleaning cleaning a window. It's like, oh, shut up! I'll just not do that for. I can think of the perfect I- job for you. Then people don't want to work with you, but you could be like an extra. In Harbour, oh, yeah. like, so who's just that. always cleaning, pretending to clean windows yeah. in the background? <laughs> Don't want to seem like an old-time comedian slagging off his wife, but I have learnt in the few years of living in the same house as my wife that it is possible to both clean things incorrectly, do the washing up incorrectly, and even load a dishwasher incorrectly. Oh, so yeah. she sort of, yeah, <laughs> our other guests are nodding as well, and it's like following, I feel like I'm being followed around by an angry caddy <laughs> at all times. <laughs> oh, anyway. and that's a bad miss. Yeah. <laughs> Before uh, I incriminate myself further for the alimony proceedings that will inevitably follow me in five to ten years' time, we should introduce our other guests this week because this week we have a couple of Patreon supporters who have joined us. They are uh, $10 a month supporters, which means that they are allowed to both choose the topic of this week's show and act as judge, jury and executioner at the end of the show. And they are a first on the show. We haven't just got one Patreon supporter, but two. We have the dynamic father and son duo of David and Tyler Harrington. They live on Fox Island in Washington, which sounds both delightful and fictional loud at night yeah yeah (laughs) horror absolutely horrifying at night 
Um, Tyler is an impending high school student at the Science and, it says here, Math Institute, but I'm afraid I am going to have to correct you. It is maths, gentlemen, uh, and I know because we invented the language. Um, uh, That is in Tacoma, Washington, and he looks to study marine biology and save the whales, sea stars, penguins, and the lot. I mean, I admire your ambition, Tyler, but look, just settle for one out of three. Go for the penguins, mate. They're a long way off. No one will bother them. Dave is an environmental and software engineer building software that helps water companies save water, paper, money and time. Again, mate, one out of four will do. Dave spent six years of his childhood in Britain and has corrupted Tyler properly with an appreciation for Monty Python, Danger Mouse and Sausage Rolls. Ah, at last, three out of three, the holy trinity. It is a delight to welcome our judges for this week, Dave and Tyler Harrington. Hello, chaps. Greetings, gentlemen. Great to talk to all of you. Oh, it's great to have you. And you're based in, in Washington, the home of uh, one of the behemoths of coffee <laughs> that we might get onto. Yeah, we, we, we don't, uh, we're not regulars of that particular chain. So we'll, <laughs> we'll keep that on the down low, but that's all right. Don't worry, it's our job to sign them off. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, Tyler, can I just check if you're in pending high school, how long until you'll be a fully qualified marine biologist? Roughly? Ooh, eight, yeah, eight. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yes. So how, how long? How long? How many whales, sea stars, and penguins do we think are still going to be around? In <laughs> We're going very dark very early. We are, yeah. Also, have you seen the news, pal? <laughs> also, I mean, I thought you were going to say there, Barry. Oh, eight years to be a marine biologist. I don't think there's going to be much of the ocean left. Oh, there'll be lots, lots more than there is now. <laughs> oh shit! No, it's increasing, isn't it? Yeah. Sorry, I forget how how, how climate science works. In fact, that's brilliant, Tyler. You're coming into a growing industry. <laughs> <laughs> Need to satisfy a hungry mind? Every week, your brain on facts brings you science. Why does mint feel cold? History. King Charles II of Spain was so inbred, his family didn't bother educating him. Music. Many hit songs and even entire albums were written for revenge. Technology. The first video game was made on an oscilloscope in 1958. And every other topic under the sun. Look for Your Brain on Facts on your favorite podcast app or at yourbrainonfacts.com. What country does coffee originate in? Ethiopia? Yeah, I didn't know that. I, 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 first up, Irish drink lots of tea, don't drink any coffee. Uh, <laughs> um, but I didn't realise it originates in, in Ethiopia. According to legend, a 9th century goat herder called Kaldi in the region of Kefa discovered the coffee plant after noticing the energising effect it had on his goats. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Yeah, which that that is a story that did not appear eight hundred years later. But you know, if you found they had one after four p.m., they just didn't sleep a wink that night. Yeah, <laughs> that's why they needed a nanny to look after their kids. Unbelievable. <laughs> the, the two professional comedians are rolling their eyes at me. Annoyingly, our guests, our guest judges, have themselves politely muted at the moment, so you couldn't hear the, the gales of laughter that were definitely coming from them. <laughs> <laughs> the first um, coffee to arrive in Europe probably came through uh, the Republic of Venice because uh, they did a lot of trade with North Africa and Egypt in the east. Um, but in the 1500s, when they were sort of first importing it, a lot of Christian Europe didn't think it was, uh, you know, it was very holy to drink it. They called it Satan's drink. They called it a Muslim drink. They urged Pope Clement VIII to outlaw it. And the Pope said the drink was so good, it would be a sin to only let pagans <laughs> drink it. <laughs> <laughs> which sounds very much like the church in general is going you know oh 
yeah, this is bad, but we like doing it. So we'll yeah. just make that a thing we can do. Yeah. He's just <laughs> sipping his espresso going, I'm not banning this, I'm afraid. It's... Oh, oh, yeah. And you know the Pope drinks an espresso with the, the one finger stuck out as of well. Of course. Yeah. Yes. Well, because the, the papal slippers are like um, little sort of turned up at the end with pom-poms on. So I can imagine Pope Clement drinking that and then the toes uncurling because the coffee is so good. <laughs> <laughs> the Europeans were really... This is one of those things, a bit like when we talk about World was Tea, Ben. The Europeans were trying to like be the first nation to have the first coffee bean so they could sort of control trade and have access to it. And there was one, the race was won by the Dutch in 1616. A guy called Peter van der Broeke, who was a Dutch merchant, managed to steal some from a coffee bushes in Mocha in Yemen. And he took them back to Amsterdam and uh, put them in the, the botanical gardens there. He got them sort of 40 years ahead of anyone else in the rest of Europe. I was thinking this the other day. Like I, love, I was reading, I was reading about the spice wars, and obviously because the Dutch went off to the East Indies to get everything. This morning, my son asked for some cinnamon on his porridge, and as I poured it over, I was like, 400 years ago, this would have made you an absolutist monarch, and now <laughs> you're just like a slightly bourgeois young kid from South London. Like the role of cinnamon has really changed. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, where's the world's largest coffee producer? Oh, I don't know. I've got Kenya. the top ten here. I've got the top ten here. Uh, Kenya is not in the top ten. Is it not? No, Ethiopia's up there, but not Kenya. I'm gonna say, oh, Colombia. Colombia's third. Good okay. work. Da- da- David, David's waving a hand. Go on, David. Do you have a guess for us? Go on, let's have a guess from our judges, just in case. It was going to be somewhere South American. Um, Very yeah, we, you're right. We, we were going to go. Costa Rica, but there's not a ton of land. No, so Costa Rica's a bit small. <laughs> you know, yeah. Peru. Only so much you can get out. Pa- uh, it's it's Brazil. It's the big one. Oh, I wanted it to be Paraguay, because no one knows anything else about Paraguay. Like, what are they doing there? Just shitloads of coffee. <laughs> um, the Brazil exports 40, over 44 million bags of 60 kilograms of coffee every year, which is second on the list is Vietnam, and they do 27 Ooh. million. So Brazil is like 17 million more bags a year. I would not have expected Vietnam to be number two. Um, also, I imagine after, um, in the 60s and 70s, after America dropped all that napalm on the forests, everyone must have been awake for decades. <laughs> I thought you were going to do an orange mochaccino joke, Ben, which would be very bad um, luckily, our American judges high-fived that, and we're kind of like, um, we have grandfathers who are veterans. How dare you? We're, we're, we're not proud of that. We're, we don't want to take a, we don't want to take that on. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> you know, but Brazil coffee's not native to Brazil. It was first introduced in the 18th century. So, um, but they sort of under Portuguese rule, they they sort of tried to super soup up their coffee production but french guyana their neighbor was the big like coffee producer in south america at the time and they refused to share any of their coffee seeds and there's a story that it's a lot of theft in coffee it turns out um, a guy called francisco de Mello paleta was sent to french guyana on a diplomatic mission and while he was there he seduced the wife of the governor of french guyana and got her to give him a bouquet of flowers with some coffee beans hidden inside it how is this not a film surely that is a so yeah. it's got to be a film in the waiting. Yeah, it was, coffee is one of the most commonly stolen goods in piracy, even today as well. It was back in the golden age of piracy, and even now there's still coffee stolen a lot because it's, you know, it's it's exported in large amounts and it's quite expensive. Really, but the, but obviously in the golden age of piracy, they had enormous galleons with holds where you could store coffee. Whereas now, I, as I understand it, it's um, all little 
dinghies in the Straits of Yemen with AK-47. So where are they storing the coffee? A lot of co- a lot of piracy. It's all just, just coffee pods now, isn't it? Yeah. It's much easier <laughs> yeah. to steal. <laughs> In shots, yeah. Um, no, apparently a lot of piracy now takes place on land, which is very sad. It's not the it's, same. That's not piracy. I'm sorry, I'm not yeah. having that. But they, they, because coffee is grown in largely mountainous, remote regions, they can hijack things on the road. You can die. Very digital piracies are really think that they they re-divert or they reroute. Um, shipping containers filled with coffee to put them on to get them on different ships or sent to different locations so oh is that why my packed order didn't turn up last week yeah right yeah <laughs> but yeah no brazil is still uh, as said, a powerhouse in coffee in, in the 194 in the 1840s they were producing 40 percent of the world's coffee by the 1920s 80 percent of the global output of coffee Ooh. was basically keeping the entire country's infrastructure afloat but that because of that they were producing so much they were then burning loads of stockpile coffee to keep the prices buoyant they, there was so much coffee in the world that brazil's entire infrastructure was <laughs> basically it it rose and fall with fell with coffee if coffee prices dropped brazil was in trouble so they were burning in one year 78 million bags of stockpiled coffee to try and keep the price of global coffee high and because that didn't help they were the ones who asked nestle to create instant coffee so the reason we have instant coffee today is the Brazilian government needed, you know, a different way of producing coffee that didn't require beans being kept fresh and all of that, and so they could regulate the flow of it. So yeah, they uh, in, in 1937, a scientist called Max Morgenthaler invented uh, instant coffee using dried coffee extract, and uh, they began producing it the following year, and that's where Nescafe comes from. So an entire country's infrastructure relies on <laughs> your, your, uh, your black coffee of a morning. Okay, biggest coffee producers in South America. Where's the biggest coffee consumption? And the USA is only 25th on the list. Oh, right. Wow. <laughs> okay, who, are the, who is the most alert nation on earth? <laughs> <laughs> Germany. <laughs> um, you're in the right sort of area, northern Europe. It's um, it's the Scandinavia. All the Scandinavian countries. Scandinavia. The, Annual um, consumption of coffee is about four point four kilos per person. Yeah, Christ Almighty! I I reckon that's all in the summertime months. Like when the sun never goes down, you're like, I've just got to be awake yeah, at all times. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently Finland is top of the list. Coffee so popular in Finland that there is a government mandated ten, two 10-minute coffee breaks per day in Finland. <laughs> Norwegians, they're really chilled. They're really calm people, the Finns. Yeah. Like very yeah, yeah. chilled. But, but very watchful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but also because I remember going to when i when i went to helsinki that um helsinki jazz festival is like a world famous jazz festival so they've got they're, they're underrated hipsters the Finns. <laughs> oh like scandinavian yeah in terms of coffee i i dabbled in some scandinavian beans in my time <laughs> and they are they really know what they're doing but i didn't i didn't realize it was like the epicenter of coffee drinking i just knew that they you know they're much yeah they're much more cool and trendy than you think you think they're yeah. all walking around just in like snow boots yeah, no, in, nice. in, 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 De- in Denmark, <laughs> in Denmark, they often have coffee breakfasts or coffee wedding receptions. And in um, I mean, that's too that's too hipster for me. Yeah, <laughs> I love. I'm a coffee lover, but a coffee wedding breakfast that is it's not also, for me. Thank you. White dress. Get spill the coffee. It's it's, the day's ruined. Day's absolutely yes. ruined. And in Iceland, I really like this. I didn't realize this. Prohibition was in place in Iceland between 1915 and 1989. 
And so coffee is massively popular in Iceland and it's customary to offer people a, a cup of coffee if they arrive in your house and you tend to say 10 drops or two dropar as your reply is like, oh, a little, is their version of a little cup. But because, yeah, because alcohol was banned, <laughs> just drank loads of coffee for most of the 20th century. Does that mean there were Icelandic speakeasies and there was like an Icelandic Al Capone who was hiding <laughs> uh, hi- hiding booze inside cartons of smoked fish? Al Capone's not right. here. Yeah, yeah, kippers, yeah. <laughs> In the geysers. The geysers are just like leftover massive coffee pots that are boiling over. Um, no, apparently it was really uh, patriotic to not drink alcohol because Iceland was sort of trying to gain independence from Denmark and they associated beer with Danish people. <laughs> the Danes were drinking loads of alcohol every year, like eight times as much alcohol per person. Uh, on a year uh, on a yearly basis than people in, in Iceland at the time. And so it was not the patriotic drink to drink any beer. So the Danes were smashed and the Icelanders were awake 24-7 at the start of the 20th century. <laughs> Isn't it that, because there's a lot of funny, yeah, the Danes are sort of the the joke of the, the bunch of that. They, all, all the others take, in the Scandinavian countries always take the mick out of Danes for being mm. the dumb ones. It's really <laughs> funny to see, like, um, there's a very funny Icelandic comedian called Ari Eljan. Friend of the He's show. He's got some amazing... Um, uh, routines about Danish people, but we think, we just all think oh, because we're that arrogant sort of English sort of you know all Scandinavia. We think of Scandinavia as they're all the same yeah. essentially. We've watched one Scandi noir show and we're like, yeah, I think I've got a handle on them. Yeah, it's dark and it's full of murder. That's all we know yeah. about Scandinavia. <laughs> yeah, that's why they got to drink so much coffee to watch out for the murderers. <laughs> yeah, while they're pouring over case files and drawing like red lines on a chalkboard and things like that. Newsflash, guys. That's exactly how Ireland thinks of you guys, by the way. Um, <laughs> just FYI. Quite right. And newsflash for our American judges. That's how we think of all of you <laughs> so it just keeps working up the food chain then I, I before i get to my choice i gotta mention georgian coffee houses in in georgian london because basically coffee took off massively in 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 london in the in the late six the late 17th century and 18th century and the coffee houses were considered like the place to go and discuss grand ideas of the time so you have places like the grecian coffee house off fleet street catered for the Whig party the rainbow coffee house got the french the freemasons and the huguenots slaughters coffee house got the artists in because it was on st martin's name lane near a lot of the theaters the british coffee house on cockspur street oddly got a lot of the scots and the, so it saw a lot of the jacobite uh, rebellions being plotted there and then you had places like mall king's coffee house in covent garden which sounds great because mall king was basically she was a mall she was a, a, a sex worker and a pimp and so her place was for the slightly lower classes and while uh, the coffee house would be a place where clients would meet prostitutes they also she and a lot of her clients spoke uh, an, a, a slang called flash talk. So you go into these coffee houses and there'd be languages and dialects being spoken that nobody could understand because they were distinct nearly to that particular uh, establishment, which is quite cool. I really like reading about Mal King. She left all her money to her son. She died quite wealthy. She had two or three houses. Uh, and she, her son inherited her money. He was described as a very hopeful young fellow and on whom she had bestowed a liberal education at Eton School, which is uh, the school that's provided us with many of the prime ministers of this country. <laughs> Uh, and one of the most famous coffee houses of all is Lloyd's Coffee House, opened by Edward Lloyd on Tower Street in 1686. And that's 
the origin of Lloyd's of London, the massive insurance company that insures a lot of shipping. So like, this is a place, it was near the docks. A lot of sailors and merchants and ship owners would drink there. So a lot of shipping news would reliably be circulated because they were the primary sources. And so eventually this guy Lloyd was publishing like a newspaper based in the coffee house and they would start holding sales of maritime equipment and ships at candle auctions they were called where people would bid for as long as it took a candle to to go out until they eventually moved about 100 years later to a, a dedicated building so yeah were- um, i just i've just read a really good book that i annoyingly can't remember the name of or the author <laughs> but <laughs> it's um it's like it's basically it's like 50 economic 50 things that have shaped the modern economy mm. and one of them is about it's one of them one of them's insurance the invention of insurance it talks about lloyd's coffee house and how mm. uh, like basically ma- like maritime insurance came out of wages like sat around with coffee it was people basically because there was obviously a lot of a lot of ships sunk back then and there was piracy and things like that and a lot of it was basically i bet you that my ship will make it from there to here. And somebody would take the bet. And that's how insurance essentially started. Just to take you up on that, Carl, that was Tim Harford. I have yes. him on my, my feed right yeah. here. So I listen to him every every week. He's it's fantastic. A, the book's great. And it talks, yeah, it's just, it's, it gives you little things that have just shaped the modern economy and things sometimes that you wouldn't even expect. You know, and uh, yes, I really, I really recommend the book. Yeah, that's great. Well, I, I don't know if you enjoy drinking the Georgian coffee at the time. A lot of it had isn't glass in it. Which was a collagen produced from the swim bladders of fish. <laughs> well, it's still in my, it's still in loads of beers. Yeah, as, as, yeah. It's in uh, it's in Cronenberg, sixteen sixty four. Is that part of your vegan knowledge base that you have to have? Like you, you're like, <laughs> no, it's you're part like... of my medieval upbringing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, it's a vegan thing. You learn to look out for it because, like, yeah, certain beers I've to avoid. Carling can't drink that. Most mm. modern, most hipster like craft beers tend to be brewed in a much more sort of artisan, sort of smaller way, so they don't use it. It's actually a, it's normally big, big breweries that use it. Yeah, yeah. It must be a wrench to have to let go of that pint of Carling. <laughs> yeah, how <laughs> oh, I miss a cool cup of Carling on a summer's day. <laughs> It, there were about eight, 550 coffee houses in London by the middle of the 18th century, but they'd um, dwindled by the time of the uh, the end of the century, basically because the people who did business there decided they were getting infiltrated by the lower classes, so they gave way to gentlemen gentlemen's clubs, mm. <laughs> where you had to like pay for membership and stuff. But they were revived in the Victorian era by the temperance movement, because obviously alcoholism and gin had then taken hold so they thought oh you know what maybe we should bring back the coffee houses so the uh, the, the drinking classes might uh, you know get control of themselves but i am going to put forward as the world's worst coffee starbucks it seems only right that we uh, put them up there yeah david and tyler are punching the air i hope not many of your your neighbors you know work for them or involved in the business at all but to be fair nobody knows exactly where they're based so they may have been founded in seattle but for all we know their tax base is in Atlantis now, isn't it? Yeah, I think so, yeah. That's why the mermaid's on the logo. Yeah. <laughs> she's, yeah, she's their accountant. <laughs> um, I'll talk about her in a second. But yeah, in, in 2018, they only paid £18.3 million in tax uh, in Europe against <laughs> paying £348 million in dividends to their parent company in Seattle. In fact, between 1998 and 2012, they had only paid £8.6 million in taxes on £3 billion in earnings in the UK. Um, so that's 14, 15 years t- 
tiny, tiny scrap of it. So not not exactly ingratiating themselves to us, but a, a little bit about where they came from. They were founded by three people who didn't have an MBA between them, according to this article, a writer, a history teacher, and an English teacher. They opened the first Starbucks and Pike Place market in Seattle. It only sold coffee. It only sold the beans at first. So they, so they didn't even start selling actual drink. Mm. Uh, and it was going to be called Cargo House initially. Uh, and then they considered it calling it Pequod after the ship in Moby Dick. And then they brought in a brand consultant called Terry Heckler. He didn't like that name. And so he started, he had this idea about there being power words. Terry Heckler. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. As a stand-up comedian, if I saw that name on a ticket list for my show, I would be so scared. Yeah, I'd just keep throwing out ideas and Terry keeps shooting them down. That, that sounds like a joke name you'd call somebody who pitched in a couple of times during your gig. You'd be like, all right, Terry Heckler. <laughs> it's, got, it's got real sort of... um alt-right Twitter name about it as well, doesn't it? <laughs> Terry Heckler 8473. <laughs> yeah. Barry Shoutout. <laughs> All right, mate. Uh, and Terry, well, Terry thought that there, he believed in a thing called power words. So words which have a particular oh. like, powerful, impacting, impactful sound. And so he thought words beginning with an ST were really good. So he made a list of them. Uh, and he brought in a map one day which had a place called Starbows written on it, an old map. Uh, and that, that made one of the founders think of Starbuck from uh, who's the chief mate on uh, the Pequod in the book Moby, Moby Dick. I mean, according to that theory, the president of every country should be called Steve. <laughs> Steve President. Or Stuart. <laughs> or Stuart. Yeah. <laughs> With their chief communications officer, Barry Shoutout. Yeah. <laughs> the leader of the opposition, Terry Hector. The, the logo, the the mermaid logo they have, or she's a siren thing she's meant to be. She's meant to lure you in to buy coffee. Yeah, the original logo, her boobs are very much on show, but very much around the side of her chest. There's like they're they're sort of growing out sideways, and um, she's holding her two fishtails like out to the side, so it looks like she is, for want of a better image, spreading her legs while topless. And they've basically just zoomed the whole profile in to the new logo, so you can't really see any of that. <laughs> um, that changed in 1992. They made it, and they put hair over her breasts in the late 80s. But yeah, CIA Langley, their campus has its own Starbucks. They're not allowed to call out the name of the person who ordered a coffee. Oh, what? <laughs> they have, it's like, they do very particular background checks on the bristles who work there, and literally, because it's meant to be top secret over there, they can't <laughs> shout out the names of the people who've ordered coffee. Although, and presumably, the... being Starbucks, they'd have said it wrong anyway, so... Yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> the perfect cover. Yeah. <laughs> um, and finally, the last thing I want to say about Starbucks is that they, um, they had a record label. In the really? late, they bought a company called Hear Music in 1999, which is a catalogue company. So that owned the back catalogue of a lot of singers. So in 2005, for example, they did they sold an acoustic version of Jagged Little Pill, Alanis Morissette's album, exclusively in Starbucks outlets because they owned this back catalogue. But then in 2007, they added a record label, which they called uh, Hear Music. So the idea was they'd have in-store sales of CDs and Starbucks exclusives and branded stores, which would be places you could go and listen to these tracks and make your own mixtapes and stuff. And their first signing was Paul McCartney. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, he left EMI to join this coffee Starbucks. company. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they followed him up with Joni Mitchell. She released her first album for 10 years and Carly Simon released her first album for 8 years. Then, knowing your history with the Beatles, that's gotta sting. 
Yeah. Yeah, it re- it really hurts. Although, you know, if he'd been alive, then John Lennon would have joined Costa's record label. Just <laughs> East Coast, West Coast. Like, yeah, sort of yeah. Battle. Exactly. And, and Ringo would be signed to Nescafe, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, George Harrison wouldn't touch any of them at the barge pole because he was the best one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. At least they're having a nice bit of Darjeeling playing the city, oh, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. But they they did they didn't last very long. The record label closed after I think less than a <laughs> um, But yeah, I just think as the omnipresent, all knowing, all seeing eye that hovers over every high street and side street and uh, retail outlet and airport, you can't go anywhere but for a Starbucks sign. It's uh, it's become worryingly ubiquitous, and yet somehow they keep making a loss. I don't understand that. Um, <laughs> Poor guy. They'll catch a break soon, I reckon. Yeah, they'll get a break. (laughs) (laughs) They pumped it all into the record label. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a coffee snob, like proper snob. Um, And I didn't used to be. So I married a, a, a woman from Melbourne. My wife, as she's known, <laughs> so I was described her in such weird terms. But what I'm saying is, she's from Melbourne, and Melbourne is like their most hip city in the world. Mm. Like they, t- and I hadn't, I'd never really experienced coffee as, but they call it third wave coffee, which sounds a bit sort of. <laughs> sort of undermines third wave feminism a bit but uh, it's known as that's what they, that's why the, the mermaid covered her breasts up. Yeah, yeah. first it was about liberating them and now she's got to you know reclaim that and control it but third wave coffee is what we sort of what i what we sort of, what i think about as coffee because like it's they, there was the boom of second wave coffee but what was your starbucks and all your high street coffee shops and suddenly it was your mum going oh i had a cappuccino you know that sort of thing uh whereas third wave coffee is coffee being taken seriously as a genuine like uh like on like wine you actually mm. you can you can try different beans create different tastes and all that and i i didn't know about that until i went to melbourne and then i found out about third wave coffee and i got well into coffee and actually started taste tasting it rather i stopped having milk in it you know i started only drinking like individually filtered coffee and like once i got into it i really sort of found how different it all is um so that's why I'm, I'm a, I became a snob, and now I can't drink any of that Starbucks stuff. And now I make I always make my coffee in the morning. It's quite a big process, uh, but there is my my the worst coffee, and it, I don't think it's the worst because I'm never going to taste it on principle because uh, this sort of coffee gets a bit of flat. It's the sort of thing whenever you see a politician go, well, bloody, you know, maybe the millennials could afford a house if they didn't spend £4 a day on coffee, that sort <laughs> yeah. of thing. Um, in Melbourne, my, my favourite coffee shop in Melbourne, or cafe, and it does food, it's called Monk Bodhi Dharma. It's one of the best places in the world, like I think, for food and drink. Um, they have a coffee on their menu that is a $150 pour over. What? And it it made the news when they went up when it went on the menu. It, it was like it was it was national news in Australia because it, it came at the time when there was this whole bloody well maybe they could buy a house if they weren't eating smashed avocados every day. And it caught a wave and became this symbol of everything that's wrong with our generation of like that spending money on frivolities rather than sort of saving for for the future so even though it's my favorite coffee shop and i go there and i sort of anytime i'm in melbourne i I sort of live there essentially it's i think that they've really made that annoys me to the point that i'm like what you've done there is you've given ammunition to 
assholes essentially yeah. uh, and and it under it takes away from the fact that i think it makes a novelty of co- good coffee because i love it and i think it should be taken seriously and i sort of but that i think gives it makes people think oh it's all nonsense and it's spending right money it's bloody coffee mate you just drink it in it doesn't doesn't matter what it tastes like it feels like a really good way of the, of like weeding out the assholes though I mean, there is have that. someone there who's like the arsehole monitor who anytime <laughs> someone orders that coffee, they go, sorry. Yeah. I, I just, I've just heard what the, the phrase I just said back to myself. And <laughs> yeah. But like, as soon as you see someone orders that coffee, they go, of course, sir, let us take you into the back room where the coffee is. Yeah, yeah, up yeah, against yeah. the wall, please. This is open your Definitely. mouth, close your eyes, bullet to the back of the throat. Yeah. 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 I suppose that's it. Anyone, anyone who's like, Anyone who's suddenly going to write a think piece in the Spectator <laughs> about it, they're, they're it, it's you know, right? They're out of the run. Like, they're assholes. <laughs> yeah. Anyone who actually purchases it, <laughs> you basically yeah. manage to find the thing that will link the two groups. Everyone else who goes, I like the coffee, but I'm not, I'm not that mad. That's but that's the- got, that's gone. They've done the take classic thing you do with wine, where you do the like the really low like. Oh, one dollar fifty coffee. Yeah, or yeah. The four dollar coffee, and then the hundred and fifty dollar coffee. So everyone's yes. gonna buy the four dollar coffee instead of the really yeah, cheap yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the. I, I, it's. I, it's still on there. Every time, every year, I go to Melbourne. It's sitting there at the bottom. Like a, <laughs> I, it annoys me. I might just take, just get rid of it. <laughs> I don't want. I don't want it there. <laughs> Is it not taunting you a little bit? Of course bit? it is. Because I know, I mean, there is every part of me wants to know why is it so expensive? I want to drink it. I want to drink the forbidden coffee. <laughs> but I can't because I hate it. What, did, why do they claim it's worth it? Oh, I can't remember. Hang on, let me, I'll tell you, let me Google it. It's not one of those like, oh, it's so made good. like filtered through elephant dung or one of those. No. Um, here we go. I would I would imagine when you drink it, you do the coffee equivalent of Popeye when he has his tin of spinach. Um, <laughs> I've just Googled, and the top story on Google about it is from the Daily Mail Online. So here we go. <laughs> the coffee that costs $150. $150. Uh, Hipster Cafe sells brews in glass goblets for an outrageous price because people will pay anything for a cool Instagram story. They're very pleased with their use of the word goblet there to make them sound like an Anglo-Saxon king chugging back a brew. <laughs> the coffee beans are from Jose Alfredo's number 227 limited batch. Uh, oh, that's a really good batch, though. Well, I remember. I remember. It's a really good it's batch. It's a limited batch of coffee that sells for $5,000 a kilogram at auction. <laughs> wow. Hang on, a coffee auction? <laughs> oh, Yeah. Yeah, no, well, no, I haven't been, but I imagine people at a coffee auction are going to be some of the twitchiest bidders on earth. <laughs> yeah, they think they're bidding all the time, but actually just people really alert. Yeah, it should really have only sold for a couple of hundred quid, but they just kept bidding. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Uh, to be fair, I did read one Australian coffee story. In, in 2015, Serena Williams was playing tennis against Flavia Panetta in the Hoffman Cup in Perth. She lost the first set, six love, like, was whitewashed and she decided she was in need of a coffee so she ordered a coffee on court had an espresso checked with the umpire that it was all right that it wasn't a banned stimulant or anything had her espresso (laughs) and then recovered to win love six six three six love that is imagine being that opponent (laughs) you just believe it imagine also being serena williams that you're you're that cool and you're that amazing yeah yeah, yeah. you could order a coffee and people like if one of us was playing tennis we ordered coffee people all right you 
wanker. Yeah, Serena yeah. Williams does, and you go, oh my god, she's a goddess. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to hope she gave the cup and saucer to one of the ball girls at the back of the court who holds her towels. <laughs> so she's all like, played a shot. Yeah, yeah. Sip. Just. New beans, please. <laughs> so what, like, so obviously this is a coffee that you've not tasted, Carl. Is I know it's that- not. I know it's not. I mean, because basically if I had to just pick my worst coffee, it would be, it would be a, a Nescafe sort of just jar instant teaspoon that stuff i just i cannot even understand how anyone could drink it and then it would be uh sort of your yeah your your bad do you know what i tell you what it would be and this sounds pretentious but like a, a sort of english town uh local coffee shop cappuccino that oh yeah you know, the sort of woman, they're like, do you want some chocolate on top and you're like oh, i want it i want it you to pour it in down the toilet mate because <laughs> it's gonna it's they you know they don't they think that it's, it's that thing it's just frothy milk with a little yeah. bit of coffee and it yeah, it's mostly nothing. froth you know i'm not saying not having a go like i know italian coffee is different i love an espresso when it's done well a bad espresso is horrendous but yeah that i've, I've got a real in terms of taste hatred it would be that milky horrible coffee instant coffee your starbucks type just sort of mass made sort of get it in and out i like i want a coffee that's taken a bit of time to make that, that italian thing is it. really that italian thing is really interesting because the guys who it was i think it was howard schultz and, and the starbucks guys basically went to italy drank a load of coffee and then invented the term venti and grande and all of that stuff because they thought it just made it sound cool and italian yeah because instead of just saying small, medium, large, they've gone, oh, well, we'll make up these Italian terms and, like, as if this is how they do it in Italy all the time. <laughs> did you? I did used you... to, back in the day, before when I did drink a sort of Starbucks and that, before I'd discovered third wave coffee, uh, <laughs> I I used to, on principle, not say the the names. I used to say small, <laughs> medium, large. And I, yeah. I didn't do it to be... And I, I didn't do it to be rude. I just, I just was like, can we just, can I just say what I want? You'll understand the the terminology, and I only ever had one person get a bit funny about it and sort of say it's actually grande, you know. Yeah. And I was like, most that of them would understand. Sense. Like grande's the small one. That, yes, that really annoys me. And all of them are too big. That's how you know it's bad coffee. No, like the large one shouldn't be a a liter. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> you know, coffee. Like if you go to a good coffee shop. Uh, you know, you're sort of your. Sm- it would be like, it would be like six ounce, eight ounce. Like the actual coffee sizes, the biggest one would be smaller than the smallest Starbucks because yeah. it is it is a stimulant at the end of the day. You're meant to, and it's it is meant to taste nice. You don't need a lot of it. So I really resent that. You know, the, the massive Starbucks type coffees. Yeah, six to eight ounces is meant to be the uh, ideal amount. Yeah, but the the golden ratio of coffee is apparently one ounce of coffee to 18 ounces of uh no it's one to 18 one or two tablespoons of ground coffee for every six ounces of water the golden ratio was that discovered by leonardo da vinci (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't da vinci it was leonardo da venti Unbelievable. Oh, it's amazing he could draw those pictures so well. He yeah. can with shaking all over the place. Yeah. Man is doing is doing loads of star jumps because he's so alert. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get this out of the way early doors. Carl has already alluded to the fact that our generation has hoist upon its shoulders both coffees 
and our predilection for avocados are why we are so economically weak and bringing down the economic infrastructure as we know it. So let me introduce you, gentlemen, to the aberration that is the avo latte. Oh, and God, I, I don't hate know everything about this already. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know whether this is Barista's ironically trying to take on the Daily Mail in its own game, <laughs> but it's what you think it is. It is an avocado skin with the avocado scooped out and a high-end coffee poured in with complete with coffee art yeah ben please follow me into this back room this (laughs) close your eyes up against the wall (laughs) i'd love to hope that they you can get an espresso avalati where they just remove the avocado stone pop it in the divot (laughs) (laughs) um is it but it is actual coffee though that's Yep. Is that one one another? Just, you just reminded me of one of my other big bugbears in coffee is when they uh, like a, a sort of a brunch spot will have they'll have their coffee menu and it's got all the coffees and then it's got like a turmeric latte or a matcha latte. You look at the ingredients and it's milk frothed with turmeric and it's like there's no coffee in there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> don't sell it as if don't put it on the coffee menu. Put it on the flipping milkshake menu, or whatever. <laughs> I get really annoyed that it's snuck in on a technicality. <laughs> to be to be fair, if I'm in that branding meeting, they go, "Okay, how are we going to sell all this excess turmeric and milk?" Yeah, it's branding oh. it branding it a turmeric latte is a much better strategy than a turmeric milkshake. Have you ever had a matcha? Have you ever had a matcha latte? No, matcha latte is green matcha tea powder uh, <laughs> and frothy milk, and it is disgusting it's like drinking yeah, yeah, that's a that's a 600 percent markup right there carl yeah on ma- matcha oh yeah definitely it's, it's i mean it's Put it on the coffee man. yeah joke. coffee over tea yeah you're right i hate it and it just tastes like you're drinking sort of pond water <laughs> <laughs> and you're, you're, you've been convinced that you're drinking a healthy coffee it's like you're, you're not even in the same ballpark mate it looks like the sort of thing that hipster alchemists drink <laughs> a witch yeah, yeah. A, a film I, to be fair in my head I was imagining a frothy avocado so what you've described then is only slightly less horrific that's yeah. just yeah. yeah that sounds like hipster receptacles that's like when you go to a hipster cafe and you ask for your food and it comes out in a you know a shoe or something yeah <laughs> a, a cigar like, box from the 1940s yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, I don't know if you know comedian Danny McLaughlin I once went for lunch with him and he had hipster receptacles for any food like on principle just will not eat out of it and they brought his chips in a in like a little weird red basket and he um and the, the, she was only like the, the poor waitress like she just put it down and went there's your chips and he went yeah can you take that back please and put it on a plate and she was like <laughs> what and he went uh, can you take it back and put it on a plate please and i don't eat out of baskets and she <laughs> she thought he was joking and laughed and he went no i'm serious i'm not having to go at you you've not you know it's not you've not done it i'm just saying can you take it back and tell them I want to eat my food off a plate? And she was so shy and like, okay. How does, uh, how does, how does Danny I, do with picnics? Um, I mean, badly. He's ruined a lot of them, to be honest. Can I, can I ask Tyler? When I was young, I wasn't allowed to have coffee up until like, you have to be like late teenager for your parents to even allow you to have coffee. David, not casting any aspersions on you whatsoever, but Tyler, you can speak openly now. At what age were you first allowed to have coffee? Well, I don't really like coffee. Excellent. The the aftertaste is kind of gross. I like tea better. So, 
Excellent. Man after my own heart. <laughs> did your parents ever try... Follow-up question. Did your parents ever try and get you to drink a baby Chino? Because that is a hate crime. <laughs> no. <laughs> Again, it's not a coffee. Don't yeah, put it on a coffee, coffee menu. Have a, a coffee. Co- have a side kids thing where it's called hot milk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking about how guilty I am of serving those to my child every single day. <laughs> if you're not serving it under the guise, you're not saying to your kids, well, who wants your coffee? <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you're not, you know, you're not wearing a, a, an apron and sort of doing it like you're in a coffee shop. Hey, listen, toddlers love roleplay, mate. You've got to, you've got to buy into the fantasy. <laughs> After I got over that avolate aberration, I looked at famous coffee consumers and people who consumed a lot of coffee. Beethoven famously thought um, that it was the source of a lot of his inspiration, but he was germanically particular about the amount of coffee. He insisted there was exactly 60 beans per coffee, no more, no less. But he was an amateur compared to the French writer Balzac. Yeah. And Balzac was about, I didn't know this about him, was like a real frenzied writer. So he'd he'd go to sleep at six in the evening after dinner, wake up at one in the morning, write for seven hours, have a little 90-minute nap at eight in the morning, and then write again from 9.30 to 4 p.m. And to make sure he could keep up that routine when he wrote, he drank as many as 50 cups of coffee a day. <laughs> I'm not going to suggest the two are connected, but when he died, aged 51, (laughs) he was said to be suffering stomach cramps, facial twitches, headaches, high blood pressure, and eventually he died of heart failure. Yeah. So that that all adds up on CSI um, Enlightenment France, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah. You can grind him up and put him straight back in the coffee. Yeah. Yeah. That he's in the hundred and fifty dollar cup. That's what it is. It's powdered Balzac. Yeah. <laughs> I also found a cracking quote. There's a Hungarian mathematician called Paul Erdos, who he came up with something called the Erdos number, which is which is essentially the posh mathematical version of the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Um, obviously, six degrees of Kevin Bacon is how many links between you and people you know till you get to the film star Kevin Bacon, the Erdos number was how many mathematicians have you studied with before you connect to someone who studied with Erdos. He, he also came up with a bunch of other theorems that were a lot less self-serving. But <laughs> he loved caffeine and amphetamines. And his quote... <laughs> Sleepy fellow, was he? Yeah. His quote, which I love, is, a mathematician is a machine for turning coffee into theorems. Oh, yeah. I have seen that one. That's very good. But then yeah. again, to be fair, if you're a mathematician, you've got an infinite number of numbers to count through, so you need to be awake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's what lot. he spent most of his life doing. Yeah. Yes, he was basically a Hungarian version of the count. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you talked about Brazil being uh, an enormous uh, exporter of coffee. I found an amazing story about the 1932 Olympics. So obviously 1932, height of the Great Depression, and Brazil was unable to send its athletes to Los Angeles. It couldn't afford to. So here's what they did. They got a ship. They loaded it up with 69 athletes, and behind them they loaded 50,000 sacks of Brazilian coffee. And they told the athletes, if you want to go to the Olympics, you have to sell this coffee so that you can afford the ticket. 
<laughs> and I thought you were going to say they loaded them up with coffee and made them yeah. run across the ocean. <laughs> yes, power on the boat. Yeah, power on the boat. Yeah, and then they broke every record going <laughs> once they got there. Did they do it? Once they got to LA, the port authorities charged them $1 per person to disembark. That's about $17.50 a day. And they hadn't made enough money so the whole team could disembark. So there were 15 athletes who never made it off the ship because they couldn't sell enough coffee to get them to the Olympics. Oh, my God. Yeah. And when they failed to sell enough in LA, the ship went up the coast to San Francisco and they made a bit more extra revenue and um, they got off the boat. And my favourite part of the story was there was an athlete called Adalberto Cardozo and he was scheduled to run the 10,000 meters. He sold enough coffee to get his way off the boat. He then hitchhiked his way from San Francisco to LA, made it to the venue just in time to do the 10,000 meters and finished the race barefoot. He came last oh. <laughs> i'm so sorry it doesn't get the cool runnings uh ending i mean um, my, my suspicions were raised when you said when he had a long distance to go that he took you know hitchhiking rather than actually bothering to run it there and taking the time to train yeah that was that was the giveaway i love the fact that they presumably they did they go with the coffee on the ship yeah so they were, were they still like trying to sell it to passengers on the way over? <laughs> it's got a real sort of Brewster's Millions vibe to it, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> You've got 40 days to sell all of this coffee. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, I then looked into um, two of the things before my, my suggestion. You talked about Pope Clement uh, and people in Europe in the Renaissance wanting to outlaw coffee. Probably the, the angriest royal leader against coffee was the Ottoman Emperor Murad IV. He really didn't like coffee. Um, who he, similar to the Pope, well, so excuse me, similar to a lot of the Catholic Church, um, he believed that coffee intoxicated drinkers. That was made it forbidden, uh, according to the Quran. It was bad for the body forbidden and uh, apparently roasting it the way they roasted it at the time made it the equivalent of charcoal and apparently you're not allowed to eat charcoal no barbecues <laughs> no 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 barbecues if you get indigestion bad luck the quran says that is haram not for you those may well have been uh, uh, political reasons for it so in the muslim world obviously the main forum and gathering place for people was mosques but at the mosque you're not going to get involved in any worldly or political chit chat now in europe where are you going to get involved in that sort of talk it's going to be down at the tavern where you will plan uh, political opposition or uprisings no taverns in the muslim world or if they are very very much underground and um have got the muslim equivalent of uh, jack lemon and T tony curtis playing jazz in the corner um so instead coffee houses when they emerged they were seen as being like these p potential for dissent and so people like murad decided he had to clamp down on them particularly there's there's a type of ottoman soldier called a janissary i think, I think we've mentioned them on the show before yeah they're sort of halfway they're like an armed civil servant essentially yeah <laughs> and yeah brutal letter openers they were they, they were connected to these coffee houses in fact some coffee houses were so connected to janissaries that they had um the janissary insignia as their signage so no sort of sexy mermaids instead like a, a turkish dude with a hole punch so, <laughs> that's the background 
So not only did Murad ban coffee and ban these coffee houses, these were the penalties for if you were found drinking coffee in the Ottoman Empire in the 1620s. First offence, a beating. Second offence, you were sewn in a leather bag and thrown into the Bosphorus. But sometimes the Ottoman emperor took it into his own hands and would stalk the streets of Istanbul in disguise, whipping out a hundred pound broadsword to decapitate whoever he found drinking coffee. Wow. You have to really want a coffee. To say that, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that co- that, to be fair, that coffee must have been really good. Yeah. <laughs> that's what's on offer in Melbourne, mate. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. If, you, if you drink it, and an Ottoman emperor will cut your head off, but the coffee's really good. You, know, you drink it, and Paul Hogan turns up going, <laughs> "That's not a coffee, mate." <laughs> Call that a broadsword. This yeah. is a broadsword. The other. Um, royal who hated coffee was King Gustav III of uh, Sweden. And in the 18th century, he wanted to test his theorem that coffee was a, a dangerous stimulant. So he set up an experiment by order of the crown to test it. What he did is he got scientists to basically do a control experiment to find out how dangerous coffee was and they found a pair of identical twins who were convicted murderers who were condemned to death i love medieval sweden (laughs) but mate this isn't medieval sweden this is enlightenment sweden enlightenment sweden excuse me yes yes and he said listen lads we're not going to kill you. You're just life. In, you're just in prison for life. But here's what you got to do. Twin A, you have to drink three pots of coffee a day. Twin B, you have to drink three pots of tea a day. And we are going to test if it changes either of your behaviours. <laughs> oh, my God. It's the preamble of the Coke versus Pepsi test. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'd love to tell you that in the end, the coffee drinker became a crazed maniac and the tea drinker kept reciting the laws of cricket over and over. But it, it proved inconclusive. The only thing we can prove is that drinking tea and coffee perhaps gives you a long life because the two prisoners outlasted both Gustav III, who was assassinated in 1792, and uh, both of their doctors as well (laughs) that's a pretty good deal if you're on death row and they go look we you know we're gonna keep you alive but we're also gonna give you a lovely pot of coffee (laughs) every four hours and uh, you know just fill your boots yeah you've been upgraded to room service yeah i'm just trying to figure out exactly how they uh conducted this experiment fully i mean do they just issue them out into the streets and say have fun, boys. You know, we'll keep tabs on you in the background. Like, <laughs> how, how did the inquest, you know, happen after that? Well, they only killed two people after we released them. No, I reckon, so, yeah. I reckon they got two more murderers and made them their butlers. <laughs> and, yeah. then those but- and then those murderers were like, oh, we obviously need an underbutler. And eventually the entire death row was empty because they'd all given jobs down the, down the tree <laughs> to each other. <laughs> Imagine they, they're identical twins. Imagine they, like, every day in the yard, they'd just swap over. Yeah. And we were both just getting one and a half pots each. <laughs> the, the, the triplet was like, oh, I want to do the hot chocolate one, please. Yeah. <laughs> but I am staying in Sweden for my choice of the world's worst coffee. And it is a North Scandinavian delicacy called Kaffeost. Kaffeost contains something called Eustolepa. And Eustolepa, it's rich, it's moist, it's made by reindeers, 
and it's cheese. Ugh. Oh my and god! What Kaffiost is is a classic Scandinavian dark black coffee that I'm sure Carl is uh, wetting his appetite over, and in it they dunk a fermented dry cheese bread. Oh no! Because because they do affogato in Italy. It's like they put ice cream in it, isn't it? But that oh. Yeah, I've got it. But that's sort, that's sort of like a pudding where you have like a chocolate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But like, yeah. Th- then you do the cheese course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's, a, it's for the sort of nutters that get a cheese board over a dessert. <laughs> that's what it is. Instead, yeah, the people yeah. that, that, that don't want a cake, I just want some cheese in coffee. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, you're in a rush. It's a cheese board to go. Our choices for the world's worst coffee which dave and tyler now have to weigh up are really intimidatingly they're scribbling loads of notes i've seen like an a4 pad there's (laughs) color coding going on well even more awkwardly i imagine they're going to go and retire to a different room and uh do a taste test come back wearing uh, a cap and gown two highly caffeinated men yes (laughs) so they have to choose dean barry's suggestion of the uh, classic evil empire of starbucks carl's suggestion of the melbourne 150 dollar coffee or mine of scandinavia's cheesy bet noir cafe uh, with Eustolepa in it gentlemen what are your thoughts you've given us a bit of a poser here gentlemen <laughs> good <laughs> I'm trying to hew as closely as possible to the theme of the show heroic failure and so I'm trying to weigh each of these we are trying to weigh each of these on that particular merit I am not a coffee snob but I do enjoy Copper for a day, and I have a very nice, uh, you know, basic drip machine that I use every day. I do use a Scandinavian brand as my uh, as my my coffee. When we went to Costa Rica, oh. we picked up the uh, Choradora, which is the the Costa Rican like drip machine, basically. Wow! And uh, that's that's one of my favorite coffee tools. I love that one. But Let's let's go through the let's go through the ranks here, inspecting the ranks. I'm really torn here. I have to. We, I just have to say. So, Starbucks, Baron. Uh, Tyler presumably. Tyler presumably, when the world returns to normal, you're going to need summer jobs. You don't want a bad man to Starbucks. Too early. <laughs> No, no, no. So, so yeah, like, I'm sure we're trying to trying to stick to heroic failure, right? So, yeah, it's really tough to put Starbucks in the bucket of heroic failure. The the one at main experience I remember with Starbucks. I don't know if you're all familiar with the the Christopher Guest movie Best in Show. Yes. Yeah. Right. Like the the, the Crufts kind of equivalent, that kind of thing. They made a reference. One of the couples met at Starbucks, but it wasn't at the same Starbucks. It was a Starbucks that was opposite the street, and they saw each other through the window <laughs> at a different Starbucks, right? So I have a similar story. When I first moved up here, my friend who was working at another company, she said, hey, I well, haven't seen you in years. Let's get together. I'll meet you at Starbucks at Starbucks. <laughs> I, I'm sorry? Well, come again? I'll meet you at Starbucks at Starbucks. So this was the Starbucks headquarters. Of course, they have a massive Starbucks, like one of their flagship stores in the ground floor of the Starbucks. So it's the Starbucks at Starbucks, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Barry. I, I, can't, I can't classify that in the heroic failure bucket. 
that's fine. Tyler, it feels like Starbucks belongs in the in the episode with Donald Trump, where we we put all the people who are too bad to ever win episodes. There you are. There you Trump, are. Trump, Starbucks, and Hitler—they're all in the same <laughs> alternate, alternate universe. We're really wrestling. We we have a split vote here. Um, I'll, I'll, we'll put it that way. So, Ben, Tyler is rooting very heavily for Kafeos. Because, quote, even though he doesn't drink coffee, you don't put cheese in coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Kids say the darndest things. (laughs) I'm I'm fully on board with that. I mean, you know, I could see Carl's face scrunching up in fear and loathing as you were describing that then. I mean, that's my that's um, a motto for life. I think that yeah. it should be on a wooden board sold on yeah. Etsy. <laughs> it should be inscribed on tablets of stone, mate. <laughs> so yeah, we're still we're still processing right now, but that's got that's got one vote. We'll see if we can close the gap here between us, Carl. I yes. really appreciated your suggestion of the the milky horrible uh, candy coffee. You know, sold at local you know village coffee shops. Because it, it hits that heroic failure sweet spot. It's they're trying so hard and they're so proud that they just they can't quite get it across the line, right? What do you say, Tyler? You get you get the you get the tiebreaker. I don't know. Because you shouldn't put cheese in coffee. I don't know yeah. why we're having this I debate. Now you said it. Going. You know what, Tyler? We're such idiots. We could have had this debate like over in two minutes. It would have been the shortest podcast ever if Ben had just said, listen, guys, cheese and coffee. We'd have gone, oh, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, it's lovely. Tyler, it was it was like your dad was going, should, should you put a fork in the electricity socket? No. No, Dad. No, no, you should not. Um, Tyler, this was a test the whole time. <laughs> To see how well you've been raised and you've passed. I, I think that's that has got to be our 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 submission, our vote. Very good. Cafe Ost. I thought, you know, for a second there, Ben, I thought it was gonna be like the Scandinavian Scandinavian equivalent of civet coffee. Where first you have to ship the reindeer over to Guatemala. Yeah, reindeer has the time of your life, but the coffee is just not worth it. <laughs> Excellently well judged and chosen, gentlemen. Just before we nip off, it's time for the world's best news of the week, and we shall continue pumping out good news until this pandemic is over. And we go to Chicago, where I have found the most ingenious manner of all time of calling dibs on a parking space. I don't know what it's like where you lads live, but here in London, it can often be high noon to try and get a parking space. Uh, Chicago at the moment, there are sub-zero temperatures. So what a j- local gentleman called Adam seltzer has done is soak his jeans in water take the jeans outside hold them up until the jeans freeze and then leave them there overnight as though the invisible man is holding a parking space for him that is so good (laughs) it looks incredible (laughs) that's like a piece of art yeah it really is. And uh, what he does know is obviously uh, the modern reproduction of uh, The Invisible Man, I think, starred Kevin Bacon. And so uh, Kevin Bacon once a week will go and stand in there and they're, they're one degree away from him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> before we go, Carl, where can our listeners find you and what can they find you doing when they get there? 
um they can well they can find my podcast it's like it's now it's just called tvi now we've just sort of abbreviated it down because it's easier for people to find uh, so it's tvi and that's me and julian dean just chatting every once a week we just released our hundredth episode last week with al murray which was good fun oh nice um and al murray is not a vegan is he we don't have it because we're, we're vegans but we realize we never ever get vegans on it and we 95 percent of the time don't mention veganism so that's why we thought <laughs> let's abbreviate it because it, we, two vegan idiots makes it sound like it's about veganism so we never we thought we would miss selling the podcast um so yeah it's just tbi it's just funny non-inane chat and then people can find me on social media at carl donnelly on all of them smashing stuff well thank you very much carl thank you dave and tyler for your excellent judgments uh we're all off to our local branch of starbucks to try and sneak a bit of wensleydale into the lattes until next time goodbye bye